Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, my, 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 good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is, uh, you know what, I've got my other watch on today, so I don't get dates on this. I know that it's Thursday. Is that helpful? <laughs> what day is it? 28th, isn't it? Yeah, today's the 28th all day long. Right, Mike? Just not, not yes or no, or you're not sure. Okay, we don't even know what day it is. It is, in fact, the 28th. And uh, for those of you that are paying attention, a bit of good news today on Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up over 600 points higher as the market had a major day of rebounds. And uh, good news, too, that NASDAQ also closed much higher thanks to earnings reports from many of the uh, FANG stocks, including uh, Apple, who reported strong earnings after the bell. That should show up uh, as a result tomorrow. So, um Good, uh, good, encouraging news there. We need a little bit of encouraging news, especially, you know, when you think about, wow, what a time we've had. I mean, over two years of COVID seems to be subsiding here in the United States, though we're seeing pretty significant peaks taking place in parts of Asia. And um, that coupled with what we're witnessing going on in the Ukraine has probably had the effect of causing many to give some consideration to the reality of our own mortality. I think we kind of go through life day to day, and uh, we don't give much thought to that. If you're towards the the end of your years, you're in your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, you probably think about such matters more because one day you suddenly realize, gosh, I'm you know, closer to playing things out than I am from the beginning of my life. And so what does all of this mean? And certainly when we confront our own mortality from a Christian perspective, we understand that Christ gave us victory over sin and the grave. Paul talked about the notion of being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Christ, we place our hope, not only in terms of our salvation, but uh, resting assured that when our time comes, right, man uh, lives once and then dies and then the judgment that um, we're in his keeping. And yet, in spite of all of this book knowledge that many believers have, we still tend to fear it. Why is that? How do we become free from the fear of death? If only somebody would write, oh, wait, they did. Ray Comfort joins us, best-selling author of more than 100 titles, including the book we talk about today, his latest, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death. And Ray, what a delight to have you back on the program. Great to be on the program, Craig. Uh, Thanks very much for having me. Let's talk about first why so many people seem to, to struggle with this. I think certainly one of the shall we say, side effects of COVID has been that more and more people are are confronting, particularly at early ages, um, our own mortality and just how fragile life can be. And yet, I talk to Christians sometimes that either run the gamut of either being ambivalent on the topic or while they kind of put forward a good front, so to speak, in terms of their sense of, of confidence in their in their eternal destiny, Every once in a while, somebody will sort of sheepishly admit that 
These are matters that keep them up at night, even though they know what Scripture has to say. Why, why do you think there's that dichotomy? Boy, that's well, that's well put, Craig. You know, all of us have a, a will to live, and the negative way to put that is a fear of death. Anyone in his right mind doesn't want to die. People actually take their lives up in their right mind. I find, I'll just back up a little and, and share how I talk to non-Christians. Um, I regularly go out on, on an electric bike with my dog wearing sunglasses. <clears throat> my dog wears sunglasses, and so do I, and it gets people's attention. Go to a college twice uh, a day and talk to students. And uh, I said, you want to talk about the afterlife? I said, come on camera. Our YouTube channel is just passing 200 million views, and that's greatly encouraging. And the, the thing we talk about is the fear of death and what happens after we die. Very interesting subject that nobody talks about. It's the ultimate elephant in the room that's stomping on all of us. So I talk about it. And the first question I often ask people is, are you fearful of dying? And some people immediately say, oh, yes. And you can see relief there because they haven't told mum and dad, haven't told boyfriend, girlfriend, brother, sister. It's just a secret haunting. And the Bible speaks of it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, every human being is haunted by the fear of death all their lifetime until we come to Christ. That gives us power over death and it gives us the ability to fight it. But if I may just keep talking, if that's okay, you just go for a walk if you want, or butt in if I'm going on too long. But I ask people, do you know what death is? according to the Bible, and they say no. I say, it's wages. And they say, what do you mean wages? Well, God is paying you in death for your sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, like a criminal, and the court of law is given the death sentence by a judge. He says, you've earned this, you murdered three young people. This is your wages, this is what's due to you, this is what we're paying you. And sin is so serious, in the eyes of a holy God, is given every single one of us the death sentence, the soul that sins it shall die, the wages of sin is death. And so that usually sobers people to, to listen to the gospel, because the second part of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is a tool that you and I can use to speak to the ungodly. All we do is let them know that the Bible tells us the Old Testament God destroyed, or promised to destroy death, the New Testament tells us how he did it through the gospel. And, you know, Scripture's very clear that uh, in addition to this being wages, of which you are absolutely bang on, it's also an appointment. I think sometimes people forget about the fact that this is an appointment that well, doesn't necessarily have a specific date on the calendar, and yet it's an appointment that, if Christ uh, tarry, each and every one of us will eventually be forced to keep. And an appointment into a transition, and maybe we can spend some time talking about that, because oftentimes, uh, particularly from an atheistic standpoint, there seems to be sort of the, well, you know, when life is over with, that's it. You, you, you came out of nothing, you will end as nothing, or, you know, Scripture might say, you know, back to the dust or dirt we shall return, but folks will, will sometimes be inclined, if they're approaching this from a, a uniquely uh, God-absent perspective just simply say this as well you know there was a period of time where you didn't exist and then you did and then a time will come and you will no longer exist it's as simple as that is that maybe a simplistic way of sort of dismissing the reality of death for people that maybe find it so fearful that they come up with ways to kind of discount it certainly and i just get excited when i meet an atheist because i can make a max light in 30 seconds by asking him one thought-provoking question i just say so you're an atheist yep do you really believe the scientific impossibility 
that nothing created everything. <laughs> the mouth goes like a little road tunnel for a minute, and they go, "Well, well, I don't, I don't, I don't believe nothing created everything. That's just some. I, I believe something did. It just wasn't God." So I said, "Well, you're not an atheist. You believe something created everything. It just wasn't the God of the Bible. Let's see if we can find out why you don't want it to be God." And I probe a little and find out he's living with his gorgeous girlfriend, having sex with her, and he's looking at pornography regularly. So the issue isn't intellectual; it's moral. But you know, this fear of death is in every one of us. It's in the atheist. The agnostic, it's in the believer. Everybody has this, oh, I don't want to die. And we can tap into it. Think of a waitress. She's standing in a, in a restaurant. She looks over and three very important businessmen have come in, three-piece suits, little important-looking suitcases. They sit down, open the cases, and they're wheeling and dealing millions of dollars, obviously. Is she intimidated? No, no, she just walks up and says, can I take your order? Why is she so bold? Well, she knows she has what they want. They are there to eat, and that knowledge makes her bold. And you and I have got what this world wants. We have the answer to death. We have the answer to the fear of death, and that knowledge that the world wants to live above all other things. God has placed eternity on their hearts, and they're crying, oh, I don't want to die. It doesn't matter who they are. They've got that. The Bible tells us that. So we can tap into that. And just by saying to someone, did you know the Old Testament prom God promised to destroy death? The New Testament tells us how he did it. They can stir curiosity in people to say, well, what did he do? And that's when the gospel comes out and we can share that Jesus Christ has, past tense, abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Yeah. Craig, you mentioned before about Christians fearful of death. Can I just address that for a moment? Please. Yeah, it, it, it's quite natural to be fearful of death. However, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is like the difference between a man who has a parachute on and a man who doesn't have a parachute on. Both are standing on the edge of a plane at night, 10,000 foot drop. The uh, man without the parachute is utterly terrified. The man with a parachute is scared, but he can, tr he can control his fears. His fear will be in direct relation to the amount of faith he has in that parachute. If he totally trusts the parachute, no fear. If he sort of trusts the parachute, he's going to have fear. Again, his faith will determine the amount of fear in his heart. So I'm 52. I might not finish this interview. I could just pass, pass away. And my fear will be in direct relation to how much faith I have in the Savior. I've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust him with all my heart. And I can say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. That's a choice. And so you cultivate your faith in Jesus, and that dissipates that fear. But it's natural to fear jumping out of a plane at night, 10,000 feet. You control that fear, and it's natural to be fearful of dying. But you can control the fear by the amount of, you amount of faith you choose to have in Christ. And, you know, a, a beautiful aspect of all of this that I think everybody needs to, to think about, and we'll dive into this a bit deeper when we come back after a brief time out. Death is the ultimate equalizer. And by that I mean no matter how rich you are, no matter how power powerful you are, no matter how well-connected you are, no matter how well-educated you are, ultimately we all face it. And we face it not on our terms, but on God's terms. And so death being the ultimate equalizer means we're all kind of essentially in the same boat. And if that be the case then, 
the insights that we can offer from a biblical perspective to the person that is struggling with their own mortality and what this means and fearful of it, and and rightfully so. I mean, it's not only fear of the unknown, but for those that may be around the periphery have been at least somewhat exposed to the gospel, uh, may even contemplate, gee, I've lived a lifetime of, of not thinking much of God at all. Maybe I didn't think he existed at all. What if it turns out that he does? What does he do with me? If I've done nothing with him, then what ultimately is he going to do with me? What will my ultimate destiny be if there is indeed life after death? We'll talk about this. Our conversation today with best-selling author Ray Comfort. My goodness, he has written more books than certainly most of the guests that ever come on this show down through the years. And his latest, newly released by Broad Street Publishing, is called How to Be Free from the Fear of Death. Well, you talk about an ideal period in time when this conversation takes place so often, and if it's not taking place openly, it's at least taking place inwardly in the wake of things like what we witnessed going on in the Ukraine or with the impact of COVID. What a unique time for us to be sharing the good news that Christ has for us, victory over sin and the grave. More on that as our conversation with best-selling author Ray Comfort continues on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking today with best-selling author Ray Comfort. His latest book is called How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, newly released by Broad Street Publishing. You can get more information, order the book online through Ray's ministry at livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com. We'll tell you more about that again a little bit later on in tonight's program. It strikes me, Ray, as you mentioned about the example of the the waitress at the coffee shop who comes in, you know, to her uh, job there, and one of the uh, tables is filled with a bunch of very wealthy businessmen, but she has no fear, no intimidation, because she knows she's got something that they want, coffee and a menu and some lunch. <laughs> and, and, it, and it strikes me, as I mentioned just before the break, that at the end of the day, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, powerful or just the average Joe, in the end, death is really the ultimate equalizer, isn't it? And it's actually very good to have a fear of death. Let me tell you why. If you're going to jump out of a plane, you're fearful, and it's the fear that causes you to cling to the parachute. So when we have fears, they can either be negative or a fear that has torment, or they can be a fear that drives us closer to the Lord. You know, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, some people think that's just a reverence. I think it's a little bit more than that. Um, the psalmist says, my heart trembles for fear of you. One big difference I found when I came to the U.S. was that the police over here have guns. In New Zealand, when I was here 30, 33 years ago, um, they had sticks. And if there was a criminal that was naughty, they'd hit him with a stick. Over here, they'd just shoot them. Um, so that's what I noticed when I first came here. I'd be open air preaching, and a police officer would come up to me. And as he was walking towards me, I would immediately say to myself, he has a gun. If I move too quickly with my hands, he could shoot me because he wants to get home tonight. So I always say, yes, sir, no, sir, you want me to move? How quickly would you like me to move, sir? Because I fear the police. It's more than just a reverence. I fear what they can do to me. And, the, and, and Jesus said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and do no more, but fear him who has power, power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Fear him. 
That's more than just a reverence. That's a fear of what God can do if you die in your sins. And I, I say this with all the earnestness I can muster. I'd far rather fall onto the face of the sun than to fall into the hands of the living God. Let me just share something about the fear of God that is so ministered to me. When I was about 16, this was uh, four years, six years before I became a Christian, I found myself out in the dark in long grass behind a dance hall with a pretty young lady. I was 16 years old, and my, as we, my intentions as we lay in that long grass were not honorable. And then she said something to me that put the fear of God in me. It was just five little words, I think. She just said as we lay there, she said, you know what? God's watching us. And I went, oh, I, I hardly believed in God, but the fear of God filled my heart, and I just said, it's just like a bucket of cold water hit me. I said, let's just go back inside. And I looked back, and as a non-Christian, the fear of God did me a favor. It stopped me doing that which I knew was wrong. And so we need to cultivate the fear of God, because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it says the fear of God causes men to depart from evil. So the best favor you can do is let the fear of death drive you to the foot of the cross and then fear God to keep you from uh, having anything to do with sin because sin and death go hand in hand. There's another aspect of this, Ray, that I'd like to have you kind of unfold for us, and that is that some people that not only fear just the notion of death, they, they because we oftentimes don't know what the process is going to be like, and of course it's different for all of us, and if you're ill, death comes slowly. If you are fortunate enough to fall asleep and not wake up, you don't even know that it's happened until you start to see Christ on the other side. Uh, but but oftentimes a precursor in, in many cases is illness, something that is debilitating. And so there tends to be, as a precursor to death, degrees of suffering and pain. Um, modern medicine, of course, helps to control all of that, but not not, a, not in, in its entirety. And so uh, walk us down this, this road, if you would, as to how we can understand aspects of suffering. Why does God allow it? And, and what can we learn from it? Well, suffering is a mystery. Job questioned God as to why he let him suffer. He was very courageous and filled with faith for about 30 or so chapters. And then he started doing what I would have done in chapter 2. He started whining. He said, I want to talk with God. I want to you know, have a chat with him and get this sorted out. And God appeared to him. And when God appeared to him, um, he immediately put his hand on his mouth and said, you know, woe is me, I'm undone. That was Isaiah, but I can't remember his exact words. But he realized that he had sinned against God, and he had no right to question God when it came to suffering in that sense. So for the Christian, all we can do is fall back on that safety net scripture. All things work together for good to those that love God and accord according to his purposes. So when I go through suffering, and I did recently with kidney stones, it was just horrific, I tippy-toed. I looked above the suffering to the promise that God was working things out for my good, and it sure made me look forward to a new heavens and a new earth where there's no disease, pain, suffering, death, dandruff, or dentists. So that's the hope the Christian is God. Um, the other issue when it comes to suffering is that suffering should actually strengthen our faith in God. I've heard some people say, I don't believe in God because of suffering. And I say, that doesn't make sense, and I'll tell you why. If you purchase a brand new Toyota, and you say to your friends, this is a beautifully made car. It's so wonderful. Look at the interior. The designers knew what they were doing. And you're driving along and suddenly the accelerator gets stuck and you 
have a crash in an intersection and a lot of people are killed and all around there are people groaning and suffering, lying on the ground, covered in blood, do you then say, look at the suffering, therefore, nobody made my car? Now, that's an illogical leap. You don't go from, you know, someone made this beautiful car, suffering, and then no one made the car. You say something went radically wrong. That's the correct question. And so we can look at design and creation. We can see design from the atom of the universe, flowers, birds, trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, fruits, seasons, puppies, kittens, male and female. Everything has design. So we know God exists in the same way when we look at a painting, we know the painter exists. When we look at a building, we know the builder exists, no matter what. So we know things are designed, then we see suffering. We don't go to look at the suffering, therefore nobody made everything. We should say, rather, oh, something went radically wrong. And if you read the book of Genesis, you'll see what went wrong. We're in a rebellious uh, creation that turned its back on God, and we've had disease, pain, suffering, and death because we're, we're, we're in rebellion to God. We use his name as a cuss word. We use, use the name of Jesus as, as a substitute for the S word to express disgust. No other human being has had that. So we're an enmity to God. We're enemies of God in our mind. as wrath on us and all the things around us are evidence that the Bible is true when it says we're in a fallen creation. So suffering should strengthen our faith in the Word of God and drive us close to the Lord so that we're in a good relationship with Him. Well, and that is such an important key because, you know, not only do we probably most likely experience the greatest moments of ultimately growth in our life, spiritually and as individuals, as as suffering can teach us lessons and draw us closer to Christ. Because let's face it, on the average day when everything is going hunky-dory, we have the care in the world and we just go, you know, whistling along, most human beings, if they're honest with themselves, are not often crying out to God, but find the man who is facing insurmountable challenges, maybe a problem in a business, financial ruin, health concerns. It's amazing how quickly we will often, not always, but often turn to God for his direction, his encouragement, his deliverance. And so there's much that can be said for suffering in terms of the development of the believer and our reliance upon him. Today, we're visiting with best-selling author Ray Comfort. Ray's latest book is called How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, newly published by Broad Street Publishing. You can get it through local Christian bookstores here in the Bay Area. You can certainly order it through Amazon.com or through Ray's website, livingwaters.com. That's livingwaters.com. When we come back, how can we most effectively use this topic as a means of sharing our faith with others? And I know people who instantly recoil and think, you're not talking about telling people about Jesus and evangelism, are you? Oh, no, I... Yeah, I'll go to church, but I, you, that, yeah, I'm going to leave that up to the pastor. He's a little bit better equipped than I am. <laughs> Is that necessarily the case? Probably not. In fact, Scripture would tell us very different story when it comes to sharing our faith. How do we do that, especially in a day and an age when we have cancel culture all around us? Are we fearful of sharing our faith because we're fearful of being canceled? Ray Comfort addresses that issue as our conversation about his new book, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back to our conversation and a few more moments in our visit today with Ray Comfort. His latest book, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, newly released by Broad Street Publishing. And again, you can order the book online at Ray's website, livingwaters.com. Ray, I'm, uh, I am fascinated by this subject matter because, as I mentioned in the get-go, it seemed to open up such a door, a window of opportunity for the church to be out and be bold and share our faith with so many people that suddenly have mortality on their lips when heretofore that was largely uh, only the case for people that were in their 70s and 80s. That said, talk to us about the ways in which this topic and a broader degree, how we can as believers overcome that sense of timidity, that, that fear of, I don't know, being canceled by culture when we share our faith, particularly in a day and an age like this when it seems to be so unpopular to be a believer. Well, I, I shared my faith for many years. I've been here preached thousands of times, but I've got to tell you, I always have a problem with fear. I battle fear all the time. Every Zacchaeus turns into a Goliath in seconds. I have a very overripe imagination. I can look at someone and sum up that they hate Christians from a hundred yards away, and they're going to kill me if I even mention the things of God. But what I have to do is ignore my fears. I'm like a firefighter who signed up as a firefighter. If I arrive at a building and on the fifth story, I see a mom and the three kids, and she's holding on to them, clutching them, flames behind her. She's leaning out a window, screaming in terror. I can't say, I don't want to climb a 60-foot ladder and try and grab that woman and the kids. I'm going home to be with my wife. No, I'm signing up as a firefighter, and I have to ignore my fears. Would he rather be home with his wife and kids watching an old movie on TV? Absolutely. But he doesn't listen to his fears. He climbs that ladder and does that despite it. And the Bible uses a similar analogy. It says in the book of Jude, others making a difference, having compassion, pulling them from the fire, hating them in the garment spotted by the flesh. So what I do to help me overcome my fears is I meditate on hell regularly. I think about the torments of hell and how horrific that would be for someone to end up in hell, and it breaks my heart. It motivates me. You know, love is a fountain of what we do. Could I ever get you to jump into a pond that's filled with ice that would kill you in three minutes if you're in it? You'd say, that. I'd never do that. What say a four-year-old boy fell into the pond and his feet wouldn't reach the bottom? You know, would you would you just let him drown? You say, of course not. You'd forget about your flesh. You'd jump into that pond, despite how cold it was, and just pull him out. Because love will do that. And love will jump into the icy waters of personal evangelism. And there's a way to do it. You know, if you've got problems with fear when it comes to evangelism, don't pray for less fear. Just pray for more love, because that's the problem. Love will get you to jump into a pond, and love will get you to walk into the personal waters of of evangelism. And my biggest key, my biggest thing to overcome my fears is one question, and I, and I thought of this probably 15, 20 years ago. When I meet a complete stranger and I want to witness to him, I can do it within about one minute without offense. And this is all I do. I say, hi, how you doing? He says, good. What's your name? Fred. Fred, I'm Ray. Hey, Fred, I've got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? That's all I do. I don't mention God, Jesus, heaven, hell, sin, righteousness, judgment, any of those things that make him and me feel uncomfortable. I just ask for his opinion, and there's no offense. Do you think there's an afterlife? Most people will go very thoughtful and say, 
Wow, that's the big question. I say, that's the biggest, isn't it? Do you think about it much? And they say, all the time. His all the time dissipates my fears. He's not anti-Christ. He hasn't stabbed me to death. He's a human being who thinks about this issue daily, tormented by the fear of death. I say, well, you know, do you think there's a heaven and a hell? He says, I don't know. So, well, do you believe in God? He says, yeah. So, what do you think of what the Bible says? You know, it says that Jesus has abolished death. And then I'll, Craig, I often give an analogy to people. I say, look, if a doctor's got a cure to cancer, should he just give the cure straight to a patient who doesn't know he's got cancer? He's got a guy in front of him who looks healthy, he's fit and young, he'll island. Should he just give him the cure? Of course not. He's got to show him the disease on the x-rays to alarm him as to his true state. And when he begins to sweat, then the doctor says, hey, I've got a cure for you. If he sweats and sees this danger, that's when he will appreciate and appropriate the cure. And sinners won't appreciate the gospel until we make them sweat a little, until we show them the x-rays. And the x-ray to show us our, 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 our condition is the Ten Commandments. Just take someone through the commandments. Say, have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you used God's name in vain? If you look for his lust, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Say, Fred, I'm not judging you, but you've just told me you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. What's going to happen to you on Judgment Day? He says, I'll be guilty. You go to heaven or hell? Man, I'm heading for hell. I didn't realize that. I thought I was a good person. That's the x-ray. That shows him what he couldn't see. And that's when we bring out the cure of the gospel, and he'll appreciate it and appropriate it because he's seen his disease before you give him the cure. And for people that say, well, Ray, that's all well and good, but my, my fear is, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Or, you know, I study the Word, but I have a real tough time memorizing Scripture, and so they ask a question, and now I can't counter it. Or maybe I run across somebody that turns out to be a Jehovah's Witness, for example, and they're just quoting Scripture right and left, and I feel ill-equipped. What do you say to that person? I wouldn't worry about that. You know, if you want to ride a bike, the bike's got to get moving. If you don't let that bike move, you're going to fall off. And if you don't do anything, just sit down in your fears. You're not going to go anywhere. And so you've got to start moving. Just grab a track and say, I'm going to give a track to somebody today. Or I'm going to ask someone if they think there's an afterlife. I'm going to do it. I'll not listen to my fears. Every question can be answered. You can always say to someone, well, here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know why God lets some people suffer and some not. I really don't know. But one thing I do know, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I didn't know if my sins were forgiven, now I know I'm forgiven. I've got everlasting life because I've got a promise from the God who cannot lie. And so every question has an answer. And if you meet a Jehovah's Witness and you don't want to talk to them because you don't want to get in an argument, just say, oh, well, nice to meet you and just move on. But I find... I hardly ever get into arguments with people because I use the same principle that Jesus used. I don't address the intellect, I address the conscience. If you address the intellect, you're going to have arguments. You're going to talk about whether Jonah could fit in a whale, whether Noah could fit in the ark, how big the animals were, did Jesus really walk on water and all this stuff, and you can just get empty. But if you go to the conscience and say, do you think you're a good person, how many lies have you told? There's no argument. You've got the conscience agreeing with you. The, the work of the law is written on the heart, the conscience bearing witness. You've got an ally right in the heart of the enemy, the sinner's conscience. And you've got reason and logic. This person wants to live. They don't want to die. And if you've got an answer for them, it's, it's in their good sense just to listen. So if you 
if you do what Jesus did, and that's why our ministry is called The Way of the Master, you will find just so much easier. And you can see this done on our YouTube channel, as I said before, over 200 million views. You'll see atheists backslide, people come to Christ, break down in tears of contrition, all on camera, and you'll say, this isn't as hard as I thought it would be because I'm using the right tools. I don't know if you've ever tried a hammer in the nail without a hammer, or you've tried to do something without the right tool. It's horrible. You know, you can't pull a nail out with tweezers. And so when you've got the right tools, when you use the commandments as Jesus used them, you'll find it so much easier because that's the purpose for which they were designed. Ray Comfort, his new book, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, newly published by Broad Street, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Ray's website, livingwaters.com. We appreciate, Ray, so much the time and the insights. God bless you. Hope to talk to you again real soon. Fifteen away from six o'clock. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. You know, we hear stories all the time about the impact of day-to-day life, stresses that are brought upon relationships, marriage relationships, and suddenly you're on the rocks. Sometimes it's outside pressures and circumstances. Other times it's because we've gotten into a situation that was, well, quite frankly, unhealthy from the start. And with so many examples of how not to do it out there with a divorce rate that's as high outside of the church as it is within, where do we go to look and learn more about what the model of a healthy relationship is? And and most importantly, how do we instill these values in children at an early enough age so that they don't make the mistakes we've made, so that they don't get into unhealthy relationships or make choices that are spurned on by, shall we say, uh, youth and puberty that oftentimes lead to very tragic Circumstances. Well, I get some insights on this topic from Valerie Navarrete, Director of Education with Real Options Obria Medical Clinics. Valerie, great to have you with us today. And I know that one of the focuses of Real Options has been to help provide young adults with better insights as to what a healthy versus unhealthy relationship looks like, and most importantly, uh, how to learn to develop the healthy types of relationships. Tell us a bit more and why this is important. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. Um, I think that parents today really recognize that our kids are going out into a world where um, they have a lot more hurdles to overcome than we've ever seen before. Um, especially kids now um, as they're returning back to school after having been in isolation for most of the last two years. Um, we're seeing that youth pastors, teachers, community leaders, and parents are all um, kind of just struggling to find a way to help students bridge the gap between where they were socially when the school closed and, and where they should be now. Um, additionally, you know, uh, youth today have so many things they have to overcome from the culture at large. Um, our curriculum is um, 
It's a, it's great. We uh, share it with our students. It's interactive. It's trauma informed, and it's you know not to put a label on it, but it's kind of unlike anything else out there. Um, we address topics of self discovery, boundaries, internet safety, healthy relationship foundations, life mapping, um, how to cultivate whole person health starting now when they're young, so that they have those skills um, as they grow up and into adulthood. Our hope and our intention, of course, is that um, the sexual risk avoidance education that we bring to our kids isn't just going to minimize the effects associated with sex um, and unhealthy relationships, but also just avoid them altogether. You know, we used to, not that many years ago, talk about the importance of abstinence education um, way back in the Stone Age. Well, it took place in the family, in the house. And now today, more and more, the schools seems to be supplanting that very critical parental role. But you use the term sexual avoidance, and, and I'm wondering how that differs from um, many of the current day sex education programs, particularly in public schools, that don't focus on abstinence education or avoidance per se, but just simple reduction. What's the difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I, I do remember the days of absence education, and uh, as much as I hate to say it, it's become kind of a dirty word in the schools. Um, you know, they, it's seen as outdated. So um, what we've done is we've uh, found this curriculum that is um, trauma-informed and uh, extensively researched, and um, it, it operates on the assumption that our youth have the ability to avoid these risks altogether. Um, these risks being things like unplanned pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. Um, our model is different um, than the sexual risk reduction because sexual risk reduction, which is what we primarily see in the schools, especially in California, um, just helps students mitigate the risks associated with um, sex. So again, um, how do we handle unplanned pregnancy? How do we handle um, sexually transmitted infections instead of going back to square one and saying, you know, you don't have to expose yourself to these risks. There's a different way. There's a better way. And um, part of what we do is we help educate students in what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you're going to be going for a hike on a mountain, uh, you'd probably like to go in such a fashion that you don't reduce the risk of falling off a cliff and getting crushed on rocks below you, but rather eliminate it. And and though sadly, it seems as if it's, it's almost it's almost as if there's been a white flag wave, the, the notion that, well, you know, we, we will never convince our children not to experiment. And there are certainly too many influencers in the world around them, the, about them that, that egg them on. So, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. In other words, if you can't teach them um, outright abstinence, then just teach them how to reduce it. But as you're pointing out, there is a viable alternative. The problem is you have to teach it to them, and sadly, often in the public schools, most certainly, that does not happen. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that we love doing is that we get to engage in our community. So, like you said, you know, it's hard to get this information um, into the public schools for lots of different reasons. Um, but what we're trying to do is um, work with community groups, 
summer camps, um, such as like SAM camp. We're going to be working with SAM camp this summer. We're really excited. Um, and we're also really, really excited. This is the first time ever that Real Auctions is going to host our own summer workshop student series. Um, so we will be offering these healthy education, um, healthy relationship education classes ourselves. Um, in the weeks of July, July 11th through the 15th, and July 18th through the 22nd. Um, and so if you are a parent, a youth leader, a community leader, a grandparent, um, or just someone, you know, maybe you're a passionate uh, aunt or uncle and you want to see uh, your loved ones in the students in our community get engaged with this curriculum, it would be an awesome opportunity. Our registration link just posted to our page, um, so you can easily register at uh, Friends of Real Auctions website under the upcoming events tab. Um, and additionally, um, you can reach out to us at education at realauctions.net. Um, I just wanted real quick reminder that all of our education programming is free. Um, free to all of the groups that I just mentioned. So if you in any way feel like this is something that your students could take advantage of, we would love uh, to get in touch with you. Absolutely. Um, and I also want listeners to be mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, th- there's expenses in, in facilitating an educational program of this sort. And it's, it's sad that it's necessary to counter uh, a lot of the either lack of information or misinformation that many children have today, but this is the reality in which we face. The good news is that Friends of Real Options, uh, Real Options Obria Clinics, rather, is offering these educational programs. And again, if you want to get more information, how to get your students signed up, how to get involved in support, uh, two easy ways. First, you can go to the website, friendsofrealoptions.net, and look under the events tab. That's friendsofrealoptions.net, or simply uh, shoot off an email to Valerie at education Education at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's education at friendsofrealoptions.net. Valerie Navarrete, Director of Education with Real Options Obrio Medical Clinics. Thanks so much for the update. Six o'clock from KFAX. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, our Church of the Week as Lifeline continues.